Welcome to Make Ceremony Matter More, where life cycle celebrants talk shop. Brought to you by Funeral Radio. And now your host, Cindy Neely Spence. Today we welcome Jane Hughes-Genu, researcher, author, and approaching her 10th year as a life cycle celebrant. Jane is passionate about her work with families who experience loss. Jane leads her clients to participate in end-of-life ceremonies and rituals as a powerful way to begin the healing. Welcome to Make Ceremony Matter More, Jane. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great. Um, At a high level, can you just briefly describe your background and path towards your life cycle celebrant role? Well, my my early background was in theater, and that's where my early training and my interest was, which is really about storytelling. That's what theater is, uh, the performing arts. Um, And I think I got into the whole uh, subject of um, death and dying and reconciliation with death when I started working as a volunteer at Harlem Hospital with the HIV pediatric uh, patients there, the children. And um, I I was there for 18 years as a volunteer. And I learned a lot about um, death and how children engage with death and how, um, you know, the the whole resistance to death is, is is learned behavior rather than part of our DNA. But it was a whole, it was a wonderful experience over the years, not just with the children, but with the doctors and with the whole business of understanding death more deeply and it's a, all its complexities. That's wonderful. And you've taken a lot of those learnings and you've woven it into your work as a life cycle celebrant. Can you tell us what is unique or distinctive about the way you approach your work with your clients? Well, certainly the uh, working with clients, the most important uh, aspect for me is to find out what it is that they would like to create in a ceremony, let's say a funeral or or a burial, or, or both, or, or even a scattering of ashes. Sometimes people do that, and um, and what that means to them, and how they want to express their um, themselves through ceremony. So I work very closely to find out what it is that they would like, and and I often suggest things. It might not be readings, or it might be certain um, elements, but it's it's I never you know insist anything that isn't that they're not comfortable, that doesn't feel right for them. And people come from many different traditions and cultures, so uh, it's a question of finding out where where their um, background in this kind of a ceremony, where it lies, to call on those elements. That's that's very real. Um, in, a, in a prior discussion, you referred to the term of, of the helplessness can be such a paralyzing emotion around a, a death. How does mourner participation assist in that sense of helplessness? Well, you know, the thing about death, everybody says this has been said throughout the ages, is that death is so final, um, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it once somebody has died, in the sense of you can't change it. And um, um, But so my, um, one of the things that I work with in, with, families and, and um, uh, people who are creating funerals and, and burial ceremonies is to help find ways for the mourners 
the, the close family as well as friends and others who are participating, to have them actually have an active part in the ceremony in various ways so that it gives them um, a way to engage. And it, it, people say over and over have told me that it helps so much with that to, to relieve that sense that there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. And that's a very hard place for anybody to, to sit emotionally. So to have them participate in various ways, um, small ways, it's not, they don't have to stand up in front of other people, but just um, there are different um, rituals and ceremonies that I suggest and often we use that allow everyone present to engage. Yeah, because this is not just, you know, the traditional approach of having a family member stand up and speak is is very difficult for someone in a raw grief. And yes. it can be very difficult for someone without any grief issues at all. So where you're talking about is in that background or in a quiet type of participation, but that it is still very powerful. So I remember you mentioned there were three categories of involvement that you pursue being one being physical actions, one being wishes, and another being, as you, you, you had mentioned, the storytelling aspect. Can you speak to some of the physical actions you've worked through with your clients to help them participate? Well, it, it, um, uh, you know, it depends. But for instance, if uh, for, for a burial ceremony, um, which I'm often is attached to or connected to a funeral. Sometimes it's a se totally separate ceremony at a separate time. But um, I have done various things sometimes, and there are different traditions that use this, but I um, sometimes I invite the, the, the people who are there to um, um, take a, a handful or a shovelful of dirt and actually put it into the coffin. That's very common in the Jewish tradition, but it's not always common in other traditions. And I just uh, here last year, I had a funeral I was doing for um, a fellow whose wife had died, and he didn't want to do the using putting dirt into the into the grave. But I suggested that perhaps he might like to have them um, throw some leaves. It was autumn this time of year, and we'd have collect some beautiful leaves and have them pass them around and have everybody. With a, along with a silent or a verbal wish, but it was an action of sending the, the, the person, deceased person off, loved one, with a gesture of um, love and attention. So we did that, and it became, it was very not only was it helpful for the mourners, but the the husband of the uh, person who had died told me afterwards that it was so so helpful to him and healing for him to go out into the park near where he lived and collect those leaves for I think almost an hour where he was in nature where, which is his wife's most important part of her, her life was being in nature and so to collect these beautiful leaves as a sort of a symbol of his love uh, and understanding and appreciation of her so it had a, a double effect of helping him in, uh, you know, feeling less helpless and feeling more engaged and also all the people who were present. So that's just one form of... Um, so that, that, and, it, and again, it doesn't require anybody to stand out in any way. You know, it's just a gesture, but it has... It has so it, symbolically, it's very helpful for people. It's, it's a beautiful activity for that spouse to pursue 
in quiet solitude or or with family in advance of the actual funeral ceremony. So it's somewhat preparatory as well. Yes. And sometimes you can also invite people um, if, if, if there's a way to, you know, get in touch with them before is to say, if you would like, we can you can bring a special token of love and we will collect those and uh, use them in this in the burial ceremony if there's a burial now some people of course don't have burials they have cremations but there are a lot of ways that you can uh, engage people in 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 a ritual fashion of communicating with the person who has died that helps them feel more connected I recall you discussing a, a situation where you also took the the funeral ritual and carried that forward to the decedent's next birthday. Oh yes, we did. Well, that was connected to the wishes. Another another way that um, people I sometimes engage or invite people to engage along with, of course, the, the family's um, cooperation and agreement is to. Um, we pass around little little strips of paper. They don't have to be large, and and a bunch of pens or pencils. And ask people if they'd like to write a little wish for the person who has died. Uh, whatever, so they can do that just right there at the memorial service or funeral. And then we collect all those wishes. Sometimes we get family members, young their young family members. They collect them. And um, in this one situation, I remember doing it and. Uh, the, it was a young person who had died, and of course that's always hard. So they collected those wishes. I think there were over 500. And then the following, several months later, about six months later, um, they gathered, just the family gathered, and because it was the 21st birthday of this family member, and they oh. took the, the wishes and they had a ceremony outside. It was in the, in the southern part of the country, so the, the weather was decent. And they created a little fire and they burned the wishes uh, as a way to celebrate and send them off to him uh, and and really acknowledge his um, his spirit and his energy. And so it was again it was a helpful for the family to stay connected in that way. So and of course burning has been a very ancient ancient form of um, used in ritual and ceremony. And then the, the third way that I think really helps people, people have told me this over and over and over, is that to, because they're, they're usually at a, at a ceremony, they're one or two, or funeral, they're one or at least one or two people who, who speak of some sort of an elegy, eulogy, I mean, of uh, the, um, uh, the person who has died. But then I, uh, as a celebrant, I invite the people who are, this of course is with the, uh, agreement of the family. I invite everybody present if they would, if they have a story that they'd like to share with the person who has died, uh, to just turn to somebody near them and perhaps somebody they don't know, which makes it, you know, a little more, um, sort of challenging, but just to tell a little story. Or if they don't have a story to tell, they might want to listen to a story, hear a story, a new story. And I've done that in funerals and, um, memorials so that Everybody has an opportunity to engage, you know, uh, on a level with how, who this person, what this person meant to me in my life. And I've found people have told me that they appreciate it. So it helps them so with that feeling of helplessness, that feeling of not being able to do anything. And um, so that's that's the third way that I find 
it helps to have people be engaged in the process, in the very ceremony itself. That sounds so valuable for mourners. Yes. Do you, do you find participation increasingly important when they're, you're facing, say, a, a secular family, a family without a faith community, or sometimes more importantly where there may be an interfaith situation where mourner participation can help manage those bridges? Well, I, you know, it's really up to the family. I, it, as far as I, I suggest this and that and the other, and sometimes, you know, families don't feel comfortable with that. They're not, that doesn't fit for them. Okay, we move on to something else. So it, all I can do, as far as I'm concerned, is suggest and invite uh, ways for people to engage and invite their whoever shows up, the participants to engage. But if that doesn't fit for them, that's I'm not going to insist because that's not my role. My role is to support the family. And um, and, and so I can only, you know, whatever wherever they are is, is perfectly okay. So some people are just not as um, um, comfortable with that. That's okay. okay. That's fine. It's not, you know, it's nothing to do with me. It has to do with trying to help them. Um, be creative in ways that will be uh, that they will find useful and healing. You, you come across with a very gentle manner, so I'm sure you encourage your clients to to take action where they probably didn't expect to yes. when when sit down to do the ceremony plan with you. Well, that's it. And and so often in when you just go to a certain religion, whatever the religion may be, they just have a ceremony that they do. That's their funeral ceremony or their, you know, and and you go along with that. And you might obviously if people have a there's a discretion when you have who is going to be the speaker or speakers, but um and, and reading of poetry and that kind of thing. But uh, the rest of it is all set. So uh, and that's fine with a lot of people because that's what they are used to and they um, yes. they're okay. I'm not in any way judging it. I'm just saying if that if people are, have a little more flexibility in their um, belief systems, in their value systems, then then we can engage some of these other practices. And they can take the time to be creative. Right. Yes. Start that healing process. Yes. As a life cycle celebrant, how do your clients, your clients find you, seek you out, Jane? Well, there are different ways. Of course, I'm listed on the Celebrant Foundation and Institute website. I have my own website. Um, I'm um, listed on the Death Cafe website as a as a I lead Death Cafes, but but in my bio it says I'm a celebrant and so forth. So, um, and then other ways, of course, word of mouth. Um, you know, people who recommend me because they've, you know, I've done a ceremony for them and that kind of thing. So, um, and I have been listed, I sometimes am listed on some of the uh, sort of commercial uh, websites. I haven't found them terribly um, um, forthcoming. But, uh, okay. <laughs> I so, you know, and I'm not out to make, you know, have lots and lots and lots of ceremonies. I I have other, a lot of other responsibilities in my life, so it's not as if I, I have to have a certain number every month. Or okay, that I don't have. That's not my goal. My goal is to be present and to be of value and of service, and when the right people will come and find me. 
Okay, so you will service those clients that want that special and unique experience. Yes, well, they may not even know what they want when they show up. I, it's very, uh, I think some of it is sort of trusting the process in the sense of, um, if I had, were more aggressive, that I would take a different, if I wanted to be more aggressive, I would take a different tack, perhaps. But um, that just isn't where I am in my work right now. I. It, it's good. I love to have it balanced in the sense that I'm doing funerals and memorials and, and, and uh, you know, when they show up and then I'm working on my other things, my workshops and my books and so forth. So um, it gives a nice balance for me. That's good. Are relationships with your families key to ongoing referrals for your work? To my family? To your For your families that you serve. Oh, the families that I serve. Um well, I don't know whether they're key. Um, I, I mean, the family, when you have a family, I don't know that I've had any repeat um, that same family wanting a, a, a ceremony, a funeral, memorial, or burial ceremony um, just because it's, you know, just hasn't happened. But um, so I think that maybe the referrals, but they may be passing it on to a friend or might be, um, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know that, it, but I don't, you know, that might not. I might not even be aware of how they found me. Sometimes I, I don't ask. Sometimes I ask, but it's usually okay. yeah. Well, Jane, thank you for joining us at Make Ceremony Matter More and sharing your experiences as a life cycle celebrant. It's it's clear you bring a lot of comfort to the families you serve, and um, realize that power of being individually. Uh, involved in the ceremony. I um, would like to thank you again for joining us. And listeners, there is a link to Jane's website and information regarding her publications are on the webpage for this podcast at funeralradio.com. Thank you, Jane. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. That makes Ceremony Matter More. Thank you so much. Thank you.